Welcome to All Sides with Ann Fisher. The ballot box has become the newest, biggest weapon in the fight over abortion rights. Advocates see it as the best way to outflank GOP-led state legislatures intent on all-out bans. Last November, voters in six states approved measures to either enshrine the right to abortion in their state constitutions or put the brakes on legislative rollback of rights. In Ohio, two abortion rights groups have joined forces to propose a constitutional amendment for the November ballot. Ohio Right to Life and other groups are mounting a grassroots effort to stop that. We'll hear from them later. Lauren Blavelt is Vice President of Government Affairs and Public Advocacy for Planned Parenthood Advocates of Ohio and on the Executive Committee for Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom, one of the two groups pushing to enshrine abortion rights into the Ohio Constitution. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hello. Thanks for having me. A lot a lot of what I'm hearing as far as the chatter goes is why this year? Why not wait until a bigger turnout year um, to put this before voters? We are completely committed to the 2023 timeline. We see getting protections for Ohioans as a top priority. We recognize the threat of losing abortion access possibly as soon as this summer. And our supporters are, are in this fight with us. We were able to collect 7,000 signatures in the first day and a half that we were collecting to file the language. And that's the kind of excitement that we are, you know, have on the ground and are, are pushing forward. You need about 312,000 or 17,000. I don't, can't remember, but it's well over 300. Maybe it's in the 400,000 range to get it on the ballot. And you have to have all those signatures if it's all approved by the attorney general and the secretary of state, blah, blah, blah. You have to have, you, that's a much shorter timeline when you're talking about that many signatures. Right. We're looking at needing about 413,000 signatures and certainly we'll need to uh, collect much more than that to ensure that we're, um, that we have the right number. Uh, so the timeline is our, our biggest challenge uh, in addition to uh, the Republican attorney general and uh, ballot board um, possibly making uh, the language submission harder. Um, so we, we do recognize the tight timeline, but we are fully committed to, to surmounting it. What's the, what evidence besides that 7,000 signatures you got in less than 48 hours, which is, I guess, a record-breaking number in such a short amount of time for sure. But is there any other evidence that you can get people to the polls, the people you want to get to the polls in November? Our polling is positive for both 2023 and 2024. We recognize that you know turnout will be incredibly important, and turnout was uh, tremendous in Kansas uh, during a, an August uh, primary election, special election. Um, so we, you know, we know that this is going to be a turnout issue. You know, people will come out to vote for the amendment that maybe we're not motivated to, to vote on a off year election. And, you know, the, our commitment is, is not just to getting on the ballot, but of course is to winning. So we will be connecting with all of our voters to make sure that they're able to turn out to vote in November. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. We are talking about efforts to get uh, to to enshrine 
abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution. My guest is Lauren Blavelt. She's an executive committee member for Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom. That's one of the two groups pushing to enshrine the abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution. And they're looking at a ballot uh, uh, ballot question in November, but there are a few um, hurdles Um, typical hurdles uh, before they get there. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu.org. First hurdle is getting the attorney general to sign off on the actual language uh, of the proposed amendment. Um, It's not unusual for them to turn away language at first, and you have to rewrite or fix it. Um, What are your expectations along those lines? Because I know they have to make the decision by this Thursday, right? We expect to hear back from Attorney General Dave Yost on March 3rd, so we think Friday. Okay. And, um, you know, we do anticipate that there will be, you know, some something in the language that he, he rejects. Um, that is very common in, you know, when ballot language is submitted. And we also recognize the reality that the Attorney General is anti-abortion and um, is you know not going to be supportive of our measure. However, you know he will have to follow the process just as we do, and um, you know so we will make any changes that are necessary, and we will resubmit. Um, so when we file language, we file again with at least a thousand signatures, and um, you know hope that he will uh, see that the the language is absolutely meeting the standards and um, we'll push it forward. Um, the opponents of this proposal say that it would make the ac- access to abortion up into the point of um, be- way beyond viability, but all-, all the way up to nine months. What are your response to that? What is your response? The proposed amendment says that every person has a fundamental right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decision. This includes the right to contraception, fertility treatment, to continue one's own pregnancy, miscarriage, care, and abortion. And it also protects people who help make the decisions. The language does state that abortion may be prohibited after fetal viability, but otherwise the government cannot interfere with or penalize a person who is exercising that right. So the after fetal viability is the way the law stands. Correct. Okay. What about parental permission or parental um, notification and those kinds of things? The proposed amendment will create our foundation for protecting reproductive freedom and make it so that it is about protecting health and safety and bring this conversation back to facts and science and out of the realm of politics. Right now we have a legislature who has passed over 31 abortion bans and continue to attack both the medical field and the patient doctor relationship. Many of the really, well, I say many, all of the bans have been, you know, are not based in science. They're not based in best medical practice. This amendment will make Ohio law have to base restrictions or prohibitions based on health and safety and on best medical practice. So all of the laws will have to be, you know, measured by is, is this in the best, um, is this for our, the best for patients? Is this best for health and safety? And so some of these legal questions will be, you know, will be determined afterwards. The law itself does not speak to parental consent. Okay. So 
if this if this as the language stands now, if voters approve it in November, uh, uh, the Ohio General Assembly would have to review all of the regulations and rules and regulations, I, dozens of them now that have been uh, enacted um, since uh, the I think 1991 or 1992 um, when uh, things changed and gave states more right to regulate. Right. The Ohio. Uh... General Assembly would have the opportunity to go back and look at all the the laws that have been passed and certainly would have the opportunity to, um, you know, overturn them themselves. I don't believe that is the process we expect to happen here in Ohio. And in fact, expect that what will happen next is that organizations like Planned Parenthood, uh, like the ACLU, um, like abortion providers will have to challenge the laws in court and that, you know, it will be through litigation that ultimately um, this amendment will be able to overturn the unnecessary and um, medically unnecessary abortion bans that currently stand in Ohio. So so then within the context of, say, the parental consent thing, the proposed amendment does not do away with it. It would have to be litigated after the proposed amendment if and when it is approved by voters. All of the laws will have to be litigated uh, to overturn them based on what the new Ohio Constitution um, states protecting reproductive freedom. And that's ultimately what we do believe Ohioans will vote to protect reproductive freedom and to protect their access to abortion here in Ohio. What are what are you seeing as the greatest challenge at this point? Assuming the attorney general approves this, assuming this gets on the ballot, what's the greatest challenge? The greatest challenge will always be, you know, continuing to reach our voters and making sure that you know folks have access to the ballot. We know that the the new voter um, ID laws makes it harder for Ohioans to vote. You know that is a real challenge for all issues trying to to reach Ohioans right now. Ohioans are are blocked at the ballot um, in a way that they were not in in other states. However, we do believe that we will have both the investment and we will, you know, the supporters on the ground to reach our voters and we will do everything in our power to make sure that our voters are able to vote and make sure that their their voices are heard. There's a renewed legislative effort to make it harder to get constitutional amendments passed on the ballot. They want to uh, increase the number of votes required, what what defines a majority from uh, a 50 plus one to 60 percent. Um, what kind of impact, if that does get on the same November ballot as you're shooting for, what are your thoughts about how that would affect uh, the success or, you know, failure um, one way or the other? The proposed change to the Ohio Constitution that Ohio Republicans are pushing um, that would make a majority 60% is an attack on Ohioans' rights directly and, and their access to democracy and you know their ability to check their representatives uh, in a way that Ohioans have, have used you know, for decades. I believe there will be a strong no effort um, and a bipartisan uh, coalition that would be voting no on that effort. If we are both on the the 23 ballot, so the ability to vote yes 
to um, protect abortion access and expand reproductive freedom and to vote no against uh, change to um, Ohioans' right to access democracy. That is how Ohioans will vote. It will not directly impact the ballot measure to protect abortion access because we'd be on the same ballot. Uh, however, you know, it is still um, a horrible attack on democracy that Ohioans uh, will not stand for. Mike Gonadakis from Ohio Right to Life will be coming on in a few minutes. And uh, he says that um, Ohio Right to Life has pledged to mount the largest grassroots campaign ever to stop this amendment from uh, making it into the Constitution. Um, it looks like it's going to be a 70 plus million dollar uh, uh, contest um, going forward. Um, where do you expect to generate the, the campaign contributions from? The effort to put this ballot measure on the ballot is a grassroots effort. Um, all of the organizations who are supporting um, and are a part of Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom and all of the, the people behind our other partners, Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, we are all working with grassroots organizations, all of our, our supporters, our volunteers, um, ourselves, you know, we're all Ohioans who have been working um, against organizations like Right to Life and you know their their funders for for years and decades, and we are prepared for the the grassroots mobilization um, you know race that that this is, and we know that we will have contributions from here in Ohio. We certainly will have lots of grassroots donors, and we will have support from our our partners in other states and from national organizations that are really committed to protecting reproductive rights, health, and justice. So this is this is about reproductive freedom in Ohio, but it is also about abortion access nationwide. And we have people from Texas, from Tennessee, patients from all over the South and Midwest who are having to travel as far as Ohio and farther to get abortion access right now. And we know that you know this this fight is critical to the future of abortion access. And we know that we will have that investment and we see that investment now here in Ohio and from our partners across the country. In November, six states put measures on the ballot to either enshrine abortion rights in their state constitutions or roll back restrictive legislative mandates. Um, what did you learn from those campaigns um, that you're gonna use going forward? First and foremost, we were proved right that when voters have the ability to vote directly on abortion access, they do vote to protect abortion access and they will vote for their reproductive freedom and for their bodily autonomy. And we know that that is exactly what Ohio voters are going to do. And we consistently see poll after poll that the majority of Ohioans do support abortion access. And frankly, Ohioans believe that abortion is a personal medical decision and it should not be made by legislators. So, you know, this is going to come down to what Ohioans believe or who Ohioans believe should decide this personal medical decision for them. And ultimately, they're not going to decide that Ohio legislators should make that decision for them. But we know that the message is going to be important, that the investment in getting the message to the right audience and you know that Ohio is, we are a very populated state and we have five media markets. We know that you know we will have a lot of work to do to, to win, um, but that is the commitment that we have made and we will 
I would imagine that keeping it off the 2024 ballot will be a lot less expensive, <laughs> speaking of the major media markets in Ohio. We anticipate being able to uh, compete in either 2023 or 2024. That is an important understanding is that if we are unable to get on the 2023 ballot, which we are fully committed to do, that our signature collection can then roll over into 2024. And so will our investment. So while we do see um, the ability to really run the table in the 2023 uh, media market, you know, we know that the antis will also try to do the same. So this this investment, we, we are prepared for the same kind of investment that we saw in 2022 and um, will accept no less uh, for Ohioans to be able to protect their reproductive freedom. Lauren Blavelt, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Lauren Blavelt is an uh, executive pr- committee member for Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom. That's one of two groups pushing to enshrine abortion rights in the Ohio Constitution. They've joined forces in that regard. Uh, coming up, we're going to hear from the Ohio Right to Life. So stay with us. Call If you have a call, question, or comment, 614-292-8513. Or you can email us at allsides at wosu.org. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Dan Fisher. Ever since the Supreme Court ruled 50 years ago that the Constitution conferred the right to an abortion, abortion rights opponents have worked to see that ruling overturned. When the court ruled in Dobbs last summer, overturning the U.S. constitutional right, those in the anti-abortion movement celebrated, and Republican-led state legislatures got to work on laws that further restrict or ban abortions outright. Abortion rights advocates have been busy as well, going directly to voters to amend state constitutions. And in Ohio, two abortion rights groups have teamed up to push a proposed amendment. Uh, The state attorney general is reviewing the language right now and is expected to report out on that by Friday. Mike Gonadakis is president of Ohio Right to Life, which is working with others to fight the proposed amendment. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks, Ann. Okay, so you've called the proposed ballot language poorly drafted and vague. How so? Yeah, well, look, we're only looking at a couple hundred words here at best, you know, so it's not a lengthy document. You don't have to be a lawyer to read it. But when you do read it, the the deception in there, which makes it very dangerous, is is what are the standards? You know, if we're going to put something into our Constitution, it needs to be black and white. What are the standards? What are the regulate? What are the regulations to put in the Constitution? Something that's been proposed belongs in the Ohio Revised Code, which then allows the Ohio Department of Health and other boards and commissions to regulate what the legislature passes. Well, I, uh, Lauren uh, Blavel explained that yes, um, that the laws such as they are that regulate access to abortion in the state of Ohio would have to be litigated mm-hmm. um, af- if and when the, the proposed constitutional amendment, you know, took, uh, you know, became part of the Constitution. So yeah, I, I think what your previous guest just did is telegraph what they want to do ultimately is go to liberal judges in Cincinnati, Cleveland and Columbus and rewrite the Ohio Revised Code. We have a legislature for a reason, a governor for a reason, and that's where we create policy. And they want to take that away and put it in the hands of local judges. Well, sh- the, hypothetically, the Ohio General Assembly could 
proactively address these issues in legislation. Um, well, they could. They have over the past right. decades and decades, whether you have and a Democrat or a Republican. Until, well, would right. they? Unless a local judge says no, based on what their current language says. Anything the legislature would do moving forward, if this passed, which we don't believe it would, would be subject to a local judge in Cincinnati saying, no, not good enough. Basically circumventing the legislature and taking away our co-equal branches of government. Is there any legislature? There's been plenty of um, uh, examples now um, since since uh, the ruling in this last summer of states amending their constitutions. Is there any of them did you approve of? Uh, <laughs> no, um, no, but uh, each state's different. You know, Kansas is different than Michigan. It's different than Ohio. And we believe that we are prepared. You never want to go first. And we're not first on this one. And uh, Kansas, as the previous uh, guest said, was in August. You know, uh, mm -hmm. in August, a lot of people are on vacation and, and not paying attention. We had an election last year because of redistricting in August, lowest turnout in our, our state's history for and that was for electing uh, elected officials. So this will obviously be in November, whether it be 23 or 24. It remains to be seen, but uh, our people will be ready. Um, your group and others are mounting a large grassroots effort in response. Can you give me a thumbnail of what that's going to look like? Sure. We started this a long time ago. We haven't you know, waited uh, because that was one of the biggest criticisms in our friends in Michigan. They waited too long to start. So we started months ago. And we at Ohio Right to Life are, are engaging the largest grassroots organization in our state's history. Whether it, We have coordinators in all 88 counties. We have over 50 Right to Life chapters, 150 pregnancy centers. We have churches from mega-sized churches, medium-sized to small-sized churches that are ready to go. Because keep in mind, this is an issue advocacy campaign, so churches, 501c3s can be engaged with this. Mm -hmm. They can't say vote for or vote against a person, but they can get involved with an issue campaign, and mm -hmm. we are going to do that. We are going to be prepared. We are prepared, and we're ready to take this to, the, uh, to Main Street, to Public Square. We're not, you know, the 2021 report on abortions in Ohio shows that 98% of induced abortions in Ohio occurred before the 19th week of pregnancy. 2% uh, occurred 19 weeks or later. After 21 weeks, less than 1%. I guess I think it's like point, point zero seven or point seven. I, I can't remember. So we're not talking about a lot of late-term abortions. Why has that become a talking point for you? Because the language as drafted would allow for it for any reason, in our opinion. But history shows that, that that's not uh, that's not a, a problem. The, then why not prohibit it? We prohibit it already in the Ohio Revised Code. Why not prohibit it? So at the end of the day, you know, uh, the attorney general will do his job as it relates to the language. And there's other processes involved. The attorney general does not have the last word. So before one signature can be collected to that magic 413,000, give or take, mm -hmm. you know, there is a, st a statutory and constitutional process that will have to play out. Yeah, I was wondering about the Ohio attorney general. He has gone on the record saying that he opposes abortion rights. Um, have you been lobbying him about this language? How does that work for you? Absolutely not. Um, I have not spoken to the attorney general um, on this, and I'm sure he doesn't need to talk to anyone to do his job, and he'll do his job, and we'll all find out this Thursday or Friday what the decision is and where we go from there. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. We're talking about uh, plans by uh, two abortion rights groups to uh, put on the ballot uh, for Ohio voters in November, um, a question about amending the state constitution uh, and to uh, enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution. We talked with an executive committee member for Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom. That's one of those two groups earlier in the program. Right now, my guest is Mike Ganadakis. He's president of Ohio Right to Life. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 614-292-8513, or email us at allsides at wosu. 
WTOP.org. Coming up later in the program, we're going to be talking to reporters from some of those states where the issue was on the ballot since uh, the Dobbs ruling last summer and uh, get a little bit uh, better idea of what happened there. One criticism your group has had is that the proposed amendment does away with some laws now on the books, such as parental consent. But there's no mention of parental consent um, in the proposed language, right? That's going back to that issue where if it, it would just it would it would stand until somebody uh, challenged it in court. Yeah, as your previous previous guest did just telegraph, though, that they're going to litigate all these laws that we have on the books. Which why wouldn't it include parental consent? Why wouldn't it include health and safety standards that the Ohio Department of Health enforces on every single clinic in Ohio, whether they perform an abortion or not? Because with this vague language, this deceptive language that they currently have, you could find any judge in Cincinnati, Columbus, or Cleveland to say, "Yep, that violates the state co- constitution ba- based on my interpretation." And by the time six months, one year later, when it gets to the Ohio Supreme Court and what damage have we already done to hurt women and children? Uh, the ballot language would enshrine in a constitutional amendment not only access to abortion, but also access to contraception. Um, any position particularly by the Ohio Trade to, to Life on that? Well, we don't take a position on contraception. And can anyone point to me one law in the state of Ohio that bans contraception? Well, it's available over the counter right <laughs> now. It's available for free on this great campus of Ohio State. You used to not state. take a position on the heartbeat bill, yeah. too. So yeah. We have never, <laughs> like, in the history of Ohio Right to Life, <laughs> taken a position on contraception. So this is a non-issue. It's thrown in there to use it to rally, you know, to create uh, confusion when it's not. There is no law banning contraception in Ohio. There, there just simply isn't. It's, well, it's it free. It's available it. free right. here it on campus. Right, would enshrine it, though, in the Constitution. Yeah. It, so you don't care about that one way or the other? No, certainly okay. not. You've pledged amount a large grassroots effort against a constitutional amendment. What, you know, you've talked about that on, on the ground effort, but we know in Ohio, uh, money talks, um, <laughs> right? you got to have the money to air the ads you know, wherever. Um, where's it coming from? Yeah, sure. You know, like we'll never be able to outraise and outspend uh, Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Really? because No, certainly not, because they will raise countless dollars from California and New York, as they have in other states. If we're just looking at past practices in Kansas and Michigan, a ton of their money did not come from people in Michigan. Some did. Yes, absolutely. But a, a bulk of it comes from other states, liberal states like California, Hollywood, New York City. And that's where they're going to get their money. We will be fully funded. Will we match them dollar for dollar? Probably not. But we won't need to because we will have the hearts and minds of Ohioans to back us up. Uh, in poll after poll, Ohioans and most Americans say they favor at least some legal access to mm-hmm. abortion. Um, how are Republican lawmakers and conservative courts out of step with the wishes of the people? Yeah, well, I, you know, the devil's in the details. My friend Daryl Rowland, a longtime reporter at the at the Columbus Dispatch, is always quick to point out that abortion polling is difficult because you can say, are you pro-life mm-hmm. or pro-choice? And they'll give you an answer. But then when you start All asking All the iterations, absolutely right. right. So, uh, you know, pro-life or pro-choice polling is, is really not valuable um, until you get down specifically, do you support late-term abortion? Do you support this, that, or the other? Do you support parental consent? When you ask specific questions, then you can really get into the data. Um, what do you think the biggest op- obstacles are going to be between now and November, assuming it gets on the ballot? Yeah, big assumption, see if, it, uh, if it's, it's this year. It's an off-year election, okay? Uh, you know, some people care about city council. It's important. You should always vote in your local elections. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, um, politics seems to be 24-7, you know, in our face. And, Tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, and next year is going to be a big year with a presidential election and the United States 24, Senate race. yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. ma'am, 24. So, um, you know, keeping people engaged and aware and... And, um, you know, starting once we know that, you know, they make the ballot. So it's going to be a sprint to the finish uh, once the, you know, the legislature, excuse me, the secretary of state approves or disapproves of the, the final numbers. 
Um, and how do you overcome that? Um, compassion, passion, um, the desire to ensure that our our form of government can exist where we elect people to make these decisions. And when you put something in the Constitution, it doesn't come out. It stays there forever. Um, we know that. Rarely, rarely, maybe once. It doesn't have yeah. to, but... It... Uh, we were able to amend what the casinos did. You know, we have poker and blackjack and craps in our state constitution. I don't think anyone ever envisioned that, <laughs> and it shouldn't be there. But um, we need to remind people that when you put something in the state constitution, it rarely, if ever, comes out. Voters in November, six states put measures on the ballot to either enshrine abortion rights in their state constitutions or roll back restrictive legislative mandates, right? Um, I'm wondering, uh, you know what you learned from that process. Yeah, you know, and each state's different. You know, we went into Michigan, we went into all these other states and sat down with the leaders that are, are sympathetic to our position and found out what worked and what didn't work, where their strengths and their weaknesses were on messaging, on voter outreach, contact, fundraising, when you start, uh, what your coalition looks like. And we took their best practices. And we think right now in Ohio, we're in a very fortunate position to, you know, we're continuing to grow, you know, we're continuing to learn, but we think we're in a really good position right now to um, to advocate for this not being put in the Constitution, and, and we think we'll get there. A lot of people were taken aback by the vote in Kansas, in particular, not, I think it was in August, actually, mm-hmm. and... Um, you know, you made the point that there wasn't a big turn, big turnout, but there was actually a pretty big turnout for abortion rights in Kansas. Were you surprised by that? You know, uh, a little bit. Yes, of course. It's Kansas, I mean, everybody right? Everybody was, yeah. yeah. Uh, but when you peel back a few layers, it's not an apples to apples of what's happening here in Ohio because they had language already in the state constitution and they were asking if they should keep it in or take it out. I don't have exact ballot mm-hmm. language in front of me, unfortunately, to, to get into the, the nitty gritty, but it wasn't a ballot issue clean as we're doing here in Ohio. It was something already in the constitution and how you interpret it. So there was some confusion there. Look, I'm making no excuses. The outcome is what the outcome is, um, was. And uh, but I think on it's not what we're doing here in Ohio. Um, should abortion rights be something that's enshrined in a constitution? Well, what the United States Supreme Court told us in the Dobbs decision on June twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two, is that it's a state rights decision. Right. So a state constitution then. Well, or a state legislative uh, a legislature. You know, uh, there's a lot of states, California, New York, that um, have no limits or restrictions in their states, and that's mm-hmm. what they didn't. They don't have it in their constitution. They're mm-hmm. passing laws. So we're ha- that's why we're going to have this debate. Should we put it in the constitution or should we leave it to the legislature? Um, there uh, are is it now another effort afoot uh, that would. Um, change the, um, I'm looking for it right now, I apologize, a renewed legislative effort to make it harder to get constitutional amendments on the ballot and also get them passed with their higher bar from 50 plus 1 percent to 60 percent for approval. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I want to be very clear. There is a false narrative that the legislature can make it harder for us to change our Constitution. That's blatantly false. They don't have the authority or the constitutional authority to change the way our Constitution gets things in or out. All they can do is pass a resolution, not a law, that says, hey, Ohioans, what do you want? We have 8 million registered Ohioans in the state of Ohio. We should have that debate. Do we want it to be 50 percent plus one or 55 or 60 percent, whatever? But it's up to us, we the people. So the legislature isn't changing anything. They can't. They, they literally can't do it. But what they can say is, we're going to put this on the ballot. It's up mm-hmm. to you guys. It's up to the people in all 88 counties. Do what you want. You come back, and that's the standard, and off we go. Look, not, not about five years ago, a group of Democrats and Republicans came together at the Statehouse. Novel concept. I get it, right? Um, and to include my former Democrat Mike Curtin, to include current state Senator Vernon Sykes, the late Chris Jordan, God mm-hmm. rest his soul, 
very conservative and others, and they came up with a proposal that 55 percent uh, with some other ideas on the back end to make it a little bit easier for Senate Bill 5 type of initiatives. So why aren't we taking a look at that? If 60 if is too much, why don't we look at what Mike Curtin and Vernon Sykes just passed five years ago? Thanks, Dry, right? I like to say thanks, maybe not Dry, but it's Dry. It's been five years, but it's a public record. It's a public document. Why don't we debate that? Well, that's a good question, but how do you, I mean, you'd feel more comfortable if it was at 55% versus 60%? Well, here's what I know. There's a new committee in the House, Allison Russo sitting on it. She's the vice chair or, or the minority Democrat, leader. Yeah, yeah Democrat. Uh, Allison Russo, Scott Wiggum, Republicans chairing it. Let's have hearings on that proposal that is bipartisan that said 55% to change our Constitution for everyone, for me, for you, for you, for everyone. Why not a 50 plus one? Because our Constitution shouldn't be prostituted by out-of-state interests. Look, Betty Buckeye and Jim Buckeye don't sit around a kitchen table and say, hey, let's go to ballot and change the state Constitution. 100% of the time, it's outside interests coming in under the guise of a citizen-led initiative. Let's face it, and the average citizen in Ohio doesn't say, hey, let's, you know, let's get together and, and to turn in signatures uh, to the attorney general. It doesn't happen. These are all led by outside groups. And that's what our legislature. Outside groups, you mean out of state groups? Out of state funded groups, for sure. Of course, they're going to hire the Ohio consultants to come in, Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal consultants to come in. But all the money and the ideas usually, maybe not 100% of the time, usually originate from out of state to come in. Whether it's a good idea or not, it's not some citizen led grassroots initiative. So what we're saying is, is let's protect our Constitution. Let's make it look so we're not putting. Uh, craps, blackjack, bingo in our state constitution. Mm-hmm. It doesn't belong there. The legislature, that's where it goes. You, you're you really good at make cutting it not cutting it one way over the another. You're saying that the people who want to put this on the ballot are influenced by outsider groups, mm-hmm. whereas yours is grassroots and opposing it. Okay. Well, look, and if we change the constitutional standard to 55, 60, 52.8, it applies to us too. So if we ever wanted to do a pro-life amendment in the state constitution, we would have to meet that standard too. This doesn't just apply to and my adversaries. And you feel comfortable with that? Yeah, it should. It sh- that's the way it should be. I'd rather lobby and go uh, lobby our legislature and our governor um, and do it the right way, as opposed to just raising enough money to get something in the constitution and calling it a day, like the casino industry did. Hmm. Well, Mike Anadakis, as always, thanks so much for your time. Thank I really you. appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank you. That's Mike Anadakis. He's president of Ohio Right to Life, uh, coalescing with other organizations around the state to oppose efforts to. Uh, amend the state constitution to enshrine uh, abortion rights in it. Uh, We are going to hear from reporters coming up uh, from different states uh, where the question has gone before voters and talk about, you know, what happened there and and what we can learn from those experiences. So stay with us. If you have a question or comment, give us a call 614-292-8513 or email us at allsides at WOSU.org. You're listening to All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News. Race might be a hot topic right now, but for so many of us, talking about race is nothing new. On the Code Switch podcast from NPR, we go beyond the headlines and we go deep. Listen now. Welcome back to All Sides. I'm your host, Ann Fisher. In November, six states put measures on the ballot to either enshrine abortion rights in their state constitutions or roll back restrictive legislative mandates. Uh, 
actually Kansas did it in August, I should say. Uh, Michigan, Kentucky, and Kansas are three of those six states that put up abortion-related constitutional amendments. All of them passed, keeping access to abortion legal in those states. We wanted to hear how that went. Jim McLean is a senior reporter for KCUR and Kansas City News Service, Kansas News Service. Um, Kansas voters uh, voter uh, last August decided to keep abortion legal in the state, rejecting a constitutional amendment that would have done otherwise. Welcome, Jim. Hey, good morning. Thanks. And Morgan Watkins is a health reporter for WFPL News, Louisville Public Media. Uh, voters in Kentucky last year defeated an anti-abortion constitutional amendment. Welcome, Morgan. Hi, thanks for having me. And Rick Pluta is a senior capital correspondent for Michigan Public Radio Network. Michigan voters last November enshrined abortion rights in the state constitution. Welcome, Rick. Hello. So, Rick, give us an idea of how Michigan abortion rights advocates were able to get the amendment passed so quickly, uh, able to pivot the way they did. Well, I mean, they really didn't have to pivot because um, there was a, a petition campaign underway um, when the Dobbs decision came down. So they were already well underway. And that just put it on the, you know, that just put it on the ballot. And it put it on the ballot when emotions were still very high about that decision, which aided organizing and get out the vote. And so, you know, it it passed overwhelmingly 57% and probably played a big part in um, Democrats being able to uh, not only hold on to the governor's office, but take over the House and the Senate in the legislature uh, for the first time in 40 years. Right. It drove people to the polls that may not have gone otherwise. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so uh, I'm interested, um, Morgan in Kentucky, much more conservative Republican state than Michigan. Um, the constitutional amendment there was not to enshrine abortion rights. What were voters uh, deciding? Basically, they were deciding whether to amend the Constitution to explicitly say nothing in our state constitution protects a right to abortion. So this was something abortion, anti-abortion advocates wanted this to pass. Essentially, it would have closed off the possibility of having a challenge to our current abortion ban in court on the constitutionality of it. It would have said, nope, a court can't rule that our constitution protects the right to an abortion. But voters defeated that, leaving open the possibility that at some point in the future, Kentucky courts potentially could rule that there is a right to abortion protected here. Jim, Kansas was the first state to vote on abortion rights after the Supreme Court ruling in Dobbs last summer. The election results surprised everyone. What about you? Uh, yeah, I was somewhat surprised uh, because it had been a uh, the battle had been going on for several years. In 2019, the Kansas Supreme Court, interesting to hear uh, Morgan talk about Kentucky, the Kansas Supreme Court ruled in 2019 that the state constitution uh, did ensure the right to uh, uh, an abortion. And so the proposed amendment was in response to that uh, ruling. It took two years to craft it, get it on the ballot. Everybody just assumed uh, that it would, not everybody rather, but but a lot of people assumed that it would pass. And then uh, in August, it was defeated uh, by about a 60 to 40 margin. So yes, it was a surprise and it gained a lot of national attention. It did. And I'm l- wondering, looking back now, uh, who ha- has it been analyzed to death and does anybody completely <laughs> understand? Or is it just a simple matter of that's what people wanted? What was interesting, uh, on election night, I was watching the returns uh, and, and just really looking at some very rural, very Republican counties. And what I saw there was uh, that the question, the abortion question, uh, the yes votes were trending way below 
uh, what President Trump got in Kansas when he carried it. And so it was clear to me that people were were simply uh, understood the amendment and were voting uh, against it. And we had a flood of new uh, registrations, voter registrations, uh, thousands of women registered to vote specifically so they could go out to the polls and vote on this issue. What was really interesting about it is that, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, almost 200,000 people who voted in the election voted only on this question. They didn't vote in either the Republican or the Democratic primaries. Hmm, Interesting. Uh, Rick Pluto, I'm curious, in Michigan, did you see the same sort of thing happen? A lot of registrations? Um, yeah. And also, um, Michigan had recently amended its constitution you know, before this to make voting easier, especially via absentee ballot and uh, early voting. And so that assisted uh, turnout and, you know, turnout obviously favored uh, the amendment and, uh, you know, Democrats, because, again, these things sort of worked hand in hand that so we had easier voting um we had the dobbs decision which um intensified uh interest and uh passions and just uh you know more people getting out to vote for the slate of democratic incumbents at the top of the ticket which at at the same time we also had just um the top of the republican ticket collapse and so it was just kind of a perfect storm of um momentum that was on the you know on, on the progressive side um and in Kentucky Morgan um what were the factors you think that uh propelled um this vote well we didn't see the massive groundswell of voter registrations that you saw in Kansas um but we did did see our two most populous counties, Jefferson and Fayette counties. Um, Jefferson's where I'm based in, with Louisville. Those those places with over a million residents, they they came out overwhelmingly against the amendment, like seventy plus percent voting against it. Um, so even though most of our counties actually voted in favor of the anti-abortion amendment, in terms of the raw numbers of voters, um, they enough came out to defeat it. Uh, we ended up voting. Uh, 52% voted against it to so 48%. Um, but, you know, you did see sort of an interesting mix. Uh, you saw, you know, some counties, even maybe more rural ones where you might think it would be a an easy yes on an anti-abortion amendment. They The votes were closer hmm. than you would expect. And you also saw some crossover um, in Louisville, for example. There were some voters who voted against the anti-abortion amendment, but voted for Republican Senator Rand Paul. So it wasn't an, it wasn't as easy as if you're a Republican, you right. were voting for it, you know, Democrat against. And, and geography didn't play as much of a role as you might have expected. I'm wondering, um, in Rick Pluta in Michigan, which has a couple big major media, um, um, you know, uh, areas, media markets, media yeah. markets, thanks. Uh, but it's also got the Upper Peninsula. I mean, it's got a lot of rural area in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Same thing. So, well, the close? geography of um, the geography of Michigan is um, in southwest Michigan along the Indiana border um, is the city of Grand Rapids, which is the second largest city in the state. The elections are pretty much decided in southeast Michigan, which is uh, Metro Detroit, which like a lot of metropolitan areas, the urban centers tend to vote uh, Democratic progressive and the suburbs are more Republican leaning, although, you know, 
really for that you get out to the exurbs. And the further north you get, the more rural you get, the more uh, Republican you get. And so these elections are largely decided in um, southeast Michigan, Metro Detroit, and then you know the the uh, market of Grand Rapids also playing a significant role. I heard that Grand Rapids is my hometown, and I heard that it oh. was much closer there. 1980 than... graduate, West Ottawa High School, oh, go Panthers. Forest Hill Central. <laughs> okay, so, mm-hmm. um, so they said that it was, you know, a lot closer in Grand Rapids than they expected. You know, it's Jerry Ford country. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the city of Grand Rapids, you know, our Democratic House, uh, our Democratic Senate majority leader is mm-hmm. from Grand Rapids. And so mm-hmm. the city itself tends Democratic while, you know, the outer county and the region, I'm sure you're aware of this, you know, um, votes, uh, you know, votes more Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Jim, in Kansas, um, mm-hmm. kind of this, it, what did you see as far as the big cities? I know Kansas is a little bit different, a lot more rural area, but right. any 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 magic there, anything you... The, the, yeah, it's really interesting. The Kansas City, it's, it's the Kansas City suburbs for decades were a uh, bastion of progressive Republicanism. I mean, the, the, the Republicans from the Johnson County area, those are the, the, the Kansas City suburbs in Kansas, uh, pretty much ran the state, ran the legislature. Well, those 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 suburbs now have been trending purple uh, in the last several elections from Hillary Clinton right on through huh. uh, to Joe Biden. And so th- there was a massive turnout there uh, uh, against the amendment. And then, as I said, just like Morgan said in Kentucky, the vote in many rural counties was much closer than uh, most people anticipated. Interesting. Um, you know, what does it tell you? Uh, I mean, every state's different. Um, but what does that tell you? And I guess, Morgan, I'll start with you about about this issue and whether it it aligns with any particular political party anymore. Well, sure. I mean, Roe v. Wade being overturned was just an unprecedented thing to happen in this country. And so I think that it, it obviously changes the calculus for folks because suddenly we're talking about you know, full belt, full blown abortion bans actually being possible, and in Kentucky, that's exactly what we have now, uh, accepting for life threatening health risks. Um, you know, one thing that was sort of in the mix here in Kentucky is, you know, there is sort of for for some folks here, kind of a a libertarian streak, um, and definitely, I think what our amendment was doing essentially would have was it was asking voters to let the state legislature, um, which is Republican controlled now, have more control over abortion bans because it would have sort of sidelined the courts to a degree. Uh, And so it's possible that there were some voters who just didn't like the idea of putting that amount of power Mm -hmm. uh, in our legislature. And and what about uh, in Michigan, Rick Pluta? Well, I would say that, you know, over the decades that the um, pro-life slash anti-abortion movement had been very effective in both using um, organization to elect sympathetic legislators and uh, ballot campaigns to push a, um, you know, an anti-abortion agenda as far as it could under Roe versus Wade. And people seemed by and large comfortable with that. Um, when the Dobbs decision came down, that that changed everything, that there was no longer a firewall where subor- suburban voters could say, for example, well, you know, I, I, I like low taxes and I'm really not 
uncomfortable with what we're seeing you know, on these uh, social questions. And that just changed the dynamic completely that uh, all of a sudden, you know, abortion writ large was in play as a political issue that, uh, you know, went into, you know, suburban voters who are otherwise ambivalent about how far restrictions ought to go. And anything to add there, Jim, in Kansas? Yeah, it's it's. I think it's an interesting mix of things. It's hard to pin down mm-hmm. um, any one factor, but Kansas, as I mentioned before, uh, for most of its history in the 20th century, was a progressive Republican state. Then in the in 1980s, the anti-abortion movement really caught on with protests in Wichita, um, and and so that fueled uh, a, a, a pretty uh, a pretty dramatic right turn for the Republican Party in Kansas, and they've been you know really. Uh, pushing these uh, abortion restrictions uh, ever since. But I think there's also a healthy mistrust of government out in rural areas. And I think just like uh, what Morgan was saying in Kentucky, uh, they didn't want to they didn't want to re- put all this uh, power uh, to regulate uh, private decisions uh, in the hands of legislators. One other thing I think is important to, to um, understand about all that is that uh, polls show on a host of issues, abortion just being one of them, but medical marijuana being another, uh, Medicaid expansion being another, that the people of Kansas very much are in favor of those things by a fairly healthy percentage, and yet the legislature can't even bring uh, some of those issues to a vote. So there's a real disconnect in some regard uh, between the the people of Kansas and the people they elect to represent them in the state legislature. Yeah, Rick Pluto, we got about a minute. Did you want to say something? Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, in Michigan, um, and I've been covering politics here since the late 80s, and it used to be that um, there were anti-abortion Democrats and abortion rights Republicans. Right. And uh, you know, over the years, there's been this migration that the Republican Party became the anti-abortion rights uh, party and the Democratic Party became the party of abortion rights. And it was something that you had to be in order to you know, win primaries right. and you know, such. That is all the time we have. I'd love to talk to you guys more. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Morgan Watkins, uh, health reporter at WFPL News with Louisville Public Media. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. And Rick Pluta, senior capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate your time. And I appreciate Jim, the invitation. You bet. Jim McLean, senior reporter for KCUR with Kansas City, Kansas News Service. Jim, thanks so much for your time today. You bet. Thank you, Ann. And that's it for now. Thanks for listening. This is All Sides with Ann Fisher on 89.7 NPR News.